Welcome everyone to the Mitch Docker episode of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. Now, we all know Mitch as one of the real characters of the pro peloton with a penchant for retro cycling fashion, and we certainly talk all about that. Now, the EF Education Nippo rider also explains to me what a tramp bike is. Yes, it was a steep learning curve. We also chat about how he got into cycling as a youngster. The Melbourne quiz has no questions at all about neighbours in it, believe it or not. Uh, Mitch isn't from Erinsborough after all. And if you've ever wondered what Mitch's name would be, if he was in the Spice Girls, you've come to the right place. Check it out. Hello and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevenson unplugged by Sports. Mitch Docker is an instantly recognisable character. With his thick Ned Flanders moustache and flowing Chris Waddle mullet, the man has unquestionable style, both on and off the bike. Riding with EF Education Nippo and in the autumn of his career now, we chat about all he's achieved, as well as the pressures and rewards of becoming a road captain. The random question generator is primed and the Melbourne quiz is ready to test his knowledge on his hometown. But what would he call his own coffee brand? Should Rigoberto Aran allow him a temporary installation in his Rigo Superstore? And what would the logo feature? There's only one way to find out. Check it out. Well, Mitch, um, first and foremost, mate, thank you very, very much for coming on to Matt Stevens Unplugged. Um, How the devil are you? I'm well, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, it's exciting to be on a different podcast, as you know, some people may or may not know out there. I've got my own podcast. It's always nice to be on the other side because you don't have to do anything. You can just come on and talk. So it's awesome. Yeah, you just roll up and I mean, I did one a few a couple of months ago for an, an American uh, guy, and um, it was just roll up. It's no prep. You don't need to do. You just literally turn up, and it's yeah, it's quite it's quite chilled. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's like all right. Let's go. Let's just do this. Let's just do this. Um, what I need to do first, just kind of set things up. What I normally do um, when we set up this pod is ask the person on the end, i.e. you in this in this case, where where in the world you are and what you can see immediately around you in the room that you're in, just so we can get a real sense of where you are, mate. I'm in Girona, Spain at the moment, and we have a house here, and I'm sitting out on the balcony. Um, the front balcony, and I'm looking down on the lawn, which is fake grass, but it always looks beautiful. That's what I love about it. It looks perfectly green and perfectly <laughs> cut every time I look at it. That's nice. Um, and I can see my car in front on a quiet street, and it's a beautiful sunny day. And the sun hasn't come into the balcony yet, but it won't be long until that is jamming in on me, probably throughout this podcast. Mm, very, very nice. And I can actually hear a few songbirds sort of chirping in the background as well. Yep, they are. Beautiful. I can hear them too. Absolutely beautiful. And are you wearing? If you don't, if you don't mind me asking, are you wearing a, a Mapai running vest? Because I hope you are. I'm not. I only, <laughs> I've, I've only got one of them, and I save it for special occasions because I know that thing's going to wear out one day, and I'll never oh. be able to get another one. I mean, it's. A th- I mean, I know we've gone off on a bit of a tangent already, but um, if anybody is wondering what the heck I'm talking about, Mitch as many of you will know, is a big fan of, of running um, or over recent years, running in a headband, shorts, trainers, uh, but importantly, a quite impressive Mapai kind of old school running vest. Uh, can you tell us where you got that from, Mitch, and kind of um, what inspired you to purchase it? I, I didn't purchase it. And most of oh. my most of my retro stuff, I've been lucky enough to get, I'm talking about cycling stuff now too, 
yeah. I've been lucky enough to be gifted it, um, which I think is even more special. Um, right. I realized once I became in the pro world that all this stuff that I love, all the guys that I hang around with, directors, doctors or mechanics, they've all been in those teams or know guys who are in those teams. So you have access to all that stuff. Yeah, and yeah. most people aren't that interested in it, pros that I mean. So if you actually just say, hey, I'm really interested and chat to them about it, they're like, you know what, I've actually got heaps of that crap I'd like to get rid of. Um, the Map A singlet was a slightly different story. Okay. There was a guy who was a sports scientist who worked with with Green Edge back in the day. His name was Parlo, and he was running at in Australia, and he had he, he actually the it's the complete set. He's got the Map A hoop running shorts too. I never got those. Oh wow! And he would just turn up every day in this Map A because he worked at the Map A Centre, um, Italian guy, and he would just turn up every day in Australia with come back from his run and he'd be in this map eight kit. I'm like, this is just insane. I just fell in love with it. And eventually at the end of the camp, he goes, you can have the singlet. I was like, oh, oh man. so great. And uh, I've cher- cherished it ever since. What a lovely little story. I mean, you're right though. I mean, uh, I've still got, I think, some kit um, from my pro days, like 20 years ago. Um, actually, I've got, I've got a jersey from every single team, pro team and amateur team that, that I've rode with since the 80s, um, including like, a, a woolen jersey and a silk jersey from from way back in the early age that my dad gave me. Um, but um, I, I love all that stuff. But yeah, having I've got a real penchant for kind of old stuff now, and I do make sure that I keep hold of it because every now and again, when I'm rummaging under the bed looking for something, I find an old bit of kit, and I invariably just stick it stick it on Instagram. And people love all that sort of stuff, don't they? Re- like nice condition retro kit. There's something really special about it. Yeah, I, I, the one, just as you're hearing you say, the one piece of kit that I've got that is probably one of the most special bits I've got is we have this bus driver in Green Edge and his name is Otathu and he rode on Onsay. And right, okay. I loved the pink Onsay kit and I just loved Onsay kit full stop. And um, Neil Stevens was on Onsay and I found out Otathu was on Onsay. I didn't even know he was a pro rider and then I found he was on Onsay and he was actually a really sick rider. And right. I just started speaking to him one day, same story, loved Onsay. Eventually, I said to him, mate, you wouldn't have anything around like an old headband or, you know, a funny beanie or something. The, <laughs> next, the next race, he came with a pink long-sleeve Onsay jersey for me. I was just oh, like, mate. get out. And uh, his name written on the inside collar. And Neil Stevens pulled me inside. He goes, mate, do you know how – I don't know if you know how special that is. Otatha uh, only rode one tour, and if anyone doesn't know the – the onsite kit was only for the tour team, the pink one. Yeah. He only rode one tour. And back in those days, it was Vuelta, Giro, Tour. And he did the course, Vuelta, yeah. Giro, and then he was in the tour last minute, got called in. So he was, he was completely wow. buggered. Did the team's time trial, didn't make time cut, had to pull out. Oh, no. So we'd have bugger all of that kit. And he decided to give me one of his long sleeves. I was just so honored. And like, apart from it being cool, it's just sort of like he gifted it to me. And I was like, this is... Super, super special. So I love that stuff. I, I love all that stuff. I, I mean, I, 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 Russell, you know Russell Downing used to ride for mm-hmm. Sky, uh, a good mate of mine. He the other day, he saw me on it on Insta and on Zwift riding in with a couple of headbands, and then he sent me uh, a retro headband from 1995 from um, LA Sheriff, that the American team, um, that one of Malcolm Elliott's kind of headbands, and, I, and I've got that, and I, I just it was I was so stoked just to get it mm. through the post in a little jiffy bag. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, so, have you got a collection of headbands as well? 
I do, but not not pro here. I've only got one on say one, a yellow ah, one. Um, okay. And actually, I've finally whether it was me, I don't know, but Rafa finally made a headband um, ah. for the Giro. And I wasn't oh, right. on that Giro, but I was lucky enough to get one sent out for me. So I've got that too. I'm going to be rocking that one around too. Okay. I was just wondering how you stored your headbands as well. I know you've, you've only got two, but I, because I actually wear mine, but I store them uh, on the hand, the drop handlebar bit of my wife's bike, which she never uses in my Zwift room. So it's like a little loop, like a little headband hanger, as it were. <laughs> my, uh, this, that's the thing. <laughs> they, they, they wear out quickly. You know, they, they lose do. their stretch. Yeah. Um, I do have a whole lot of headbands, but the only only two cycling ones. They're, they're hard to come by. I reckon they need to make a strong comeback. Mate, I reckon, I mean, and, and I know we're going off on a real tangent. I know, I know you sell your own kind of uh, hats for your – maybe Mitch Docker headbands, mate. I think you would – I mean, and I, I mean, just an idea, mate. I think that would go down so well. Get his little logo sorted out. I think it would be amazing. I think you'd, you'd, you'd sell out. Just you know, I, just a, You know, I was really surprised. I do this other little podcast of mine. It's called Talking Loft. Yes. It's all about style. Yep. And one of the questions I ask in it is, if you could have raced back in the day without a helmet, what would you have done? And I give some suggestions. Would you have raced without a helmet, just hair flowing? Would you have raced with a sausage helmet? Would you have raced with a cap? And I throw the last one in because this is what I would have done. Would you have raced with a headband? 99 people say, never say headband, a cap, helmet. The one person I never expected to say headband, who do you think that was? Oh, Charlie Wigalius? Tom Pidcock. Tom, t- t- blimey. I, I was just like, dude, you've just gone up about 10 notches in my book. I did I, not expect that at all. It was awesome. I, I listened to that podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I thought it was a great podcast, by the way. Uh, but mm. I, I don't remember him answering that question. But that, that, Yeah, you wouldn't have expected that of such a young kid, really, would you? Right. Well, he's, he's, a, yeah, he's a young man, isn't he? That's brilliant. Very, very, yeah, that's cool. Um, well, okay, i tell you what. We'll probably get back on to uh, fashion in a little bit. But what I'd like to – well, first off, last time we chatted, um, I was in Henry VIII's front garden where I was describing to you a robot lawnmower. Uh, and then one thing led to another, and we couldn't continue the conversation because I was going to a flower show, wasn't I? Um, yes. And then, obviously, in between then, there's a, a small race called the Giro d'Italia has happened. Uh, and also, well, a, a big race called Trobro Leon. So was that your last event, mate? It was, yep. That was a couple of weeks ago now. That was and my just, last race. And how was it? Because I know you've, because of COVID and stuff, there's been, you know, for a lot of riders, including yourself, a kind of a kind of more focused race calendar, isn't there? So kind of limited race days. But that, to me, looked like a race that you you would really enjoy. Did you enjoy it? Uh, I'd say <laughs> I really built it up a lot. And I thought yeah. it was going to be awesome. And I even said this at the start of the year. I was on the Giro long list. And yeah. I was also on Trobro. And I thought, you know what? I don't really care which race I get. If I get the Giro, great. It's a great race. If I don't get the Giro, I've got Trobro because that's yeah. an awesome race too. Yeah. And I was really thinking it's going to be another style of Roubaix. Um, it's a pretty grimy, hard race. Um, yeah. The sectors, the weird thing about the sectors is if you try and compare it to Roubaix, is the Roubaix sectors sort of take an edge off the riders. So you have this big fight to get to the sector Everyone gets their position and you come off the sector and everyone's sort of a bit out of breath. So no yeah. one really moves up too much and everyone gets their position and that's sort of how it goes. Trobro was sort of not like that. You fought for the sector. You almost got recovery on the sector because no one could move and it was quite easy riding on there physically. Right. And then you came off and it was this whole washing machine effect again and that's what it was the whole race. And right. um, potentially for me not having a lot of races here, I was out of touch with the fight. 
Yeah. And it was just a very it was a very bad weather and it was a tough race. It sort of it sort of brought me back to reality very quick. Um, yeah. but I think it's one of those races you which is quite often the case of the races, you look back on it fondly. In the yeah. moment, I wasn't loving it, but I'm sort of getting to that point now. We're like, yeah, it was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I mean, some of the, I mean, it's if anybody's wondering what we're talking about, I mean, generally, if you're listening to this pod, you'll kind of heard of Trobro Leon, but it's it's a race that's held in kind of northwestern France, isn't it? Um, kind of undulating terrain, but it features basically farm, not cobbles. It's like farm farm dirt tracks, isn't it? Really, and a lot of them with grass going up the middle, um, and it's 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 kind of famous because of if you're the best French rider or regional rider in the race, you win a piglet. So there's a lot of kind of mythos around the race, but um, it's kind of growing in stature year on year, isn't it? It is. I, I don't know. I'm wondering how it would go. I, I'm seeing myself, how would this race be as a world tour race? Yeah. Because the race that we raced was, and I don't necessarily mean to use it in a negative way, um, it was race very amateur style in terms of no control, anything could happen, groups were right. attacking, there was no... Yeah formalities to the race um which can be good too because sometimes a world tour race has too much of that and it gets too you know uh, precision like so i was wondering maybe it doesn't need to go to world tour this and maybe it needs to stay as it is and i was like well maybe if it does go to world tour maybe it'll be another style of race like say strata bianchi but i don't know i'm a bit torn yeah, I I think just the images as a fan of the sport. Actually, I I'm, when I managed a, a team, Sigma Sports, uh, a few a few years ago, a UCI team, we sent them over and they we rode Tour de Finisterre and Trobroleon, and lads absolutely loved it. I and mean, I think we only had one finisher, but they absolutely loved it. A real experience for them. But uh, mate, let's rewind your life. Uh, not all of it, because otherwise you have no memory. Uh, it would just be like space or something. Uh, <laughs> What's your first memory, Mitch, of swinging your leg over a bike? Your very, very first memory of, of propelling yourself forward on these wonderful machines that we love so dearly? Probably my first memories are of I've got a couple of cousins. I've got quite a lot of cousins, but two um, boy cousins um, who live up on a bit of a property, Cameron and Broderick, their names are. Yeah. And. They're both younger than me, and I used to. I'm the, I'm the youngest of three in my family. I've got an older sister and then an older brother. And when I was probably at about ten years old, I think, or maybe eight, I used yeah. to go up there for the weekend, and we would make. Um, they had an old tennis court that was like one of those things that gets sort of half built but never gets finished. It was like, right. oh, the tennis court. I've dug the hole out. It's been excavated <laughs> flat, and that's where it stays for like. <laughs> 40 yeah. years you know yeah I know, I know what you mean yeah and so um we used to just build bike jumps in there and you know ride around Brilliant. in the dirt and you know that's the first real memory i have of just like racing in a way we'd make a track and we'd race around it bmx style um try and you know go through every puddle and yeah that sort of thing that's probably my first memory back in the day um what bike were you riding back then oh i i wouldn't know the the actual brand of it it was just like a silver bmx um that right. got sort of handed down for my brother um and then i was riding it i can't i i actually ended up turning that into a tramp bike do you know what a tramp bike is no i don't tell me i'm intrigued well there's this thing i never probably say where you <laughs> where you just eventually you take the cranks off it and then you you tape up where the um where the bottom bracket is, like you put towels around that and then put duct tape around that. And then where the rear stays are, you take the wheel out and the front wheel out and you put tape around that and around that. And then you jump on the trampoline and do tricks with it. (laughs) 
I've never heard anything. A tra- oh, so I thought you meant could tramp bike like a bike that was looked like it was homeless. Oh, no. But this is like it, a trampoline bike. Yeah, you do like bar spins and stuff. And if it falls on the trampoline, it doesn't put a hole in the mat. Wow. So you're doing like tricks on a wheelless bike. Yeah, basically. almost. Yeah. Wow. I've n- honestly, mate, I've never heard of that. Was that like a, just an Australian thing or a I regional thing? <laughs> I've got no idea. I just, it gives it another life, you know? Bloody hell. That's, yeah. that's, I'm just trying to envisage it, but wow, that's incredible, mate. That's incredible. I, I was kind of thrown me. It's so kind of marvelous. Um, so, <laughs> so when did you kind of first get into, get to the point where you thought, actually, I really like riding my bike. I'm obviously reasonably good. When did kind of the kind of proposition of racing uh, come to, come to present itself to you? I was always sort of, the weird thing was I was sort of always interested in racing, um, whether it was, because the thing, well, especially when I was going to school, there was there was no real bike racing as I knew it yeah. anywhere, you know, and I wasn't really in that scene. My dad was riding. He was riding bunch rides and watching the Tour de France. Um, and from primary school, I was doing quite a lot of cross country and running, and yeah. then I was playing more team sports. I was I was quite a good cricketer and rugby player. My dad's from okay. Sydney, so we were we lived in Melbourne, but my dad was from Sydney, so we grew up with rugby. And when I went to high school, again, I was just – you could tell I was – I wasn't the best, like as in the cross-country stuff, but I was always in the top five sort of stuff. So you knew like yep. you were pretty gifted in, you know, the aerobic sort of ability. Decent um, engine. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I was never looking to race cross-country or running or whatever. I just sort of wasn't good enough and it wasn't enough for me. Um, and then – we, in 2000, for the Olympics, all the Australians, there wasn't enough access for tickets. So what they just did is they put this ballot in and you just submitted, okay, we want five tickets and then you just got random tickets. Yeah. Um, and some of, the, some of the random tickets we got, among others, was the track cycling and um, the last night of the velodrome. Yeah. And I didn't know anything really about velodrome racing or track cycling then. And I didn't know anyone on it, um, you know, any names or anything. Australia was okay, but they weren't like they were the years to follow or what they are now. Yeah. And that night was quite a good night. Um, Gary Newon, he attacked the Kieran. As soon as the bike came off, he just went. And he got sort of like a quarter of a lap and the crowd was just like erupting, like, oh, my gosh, he's going to get it. And he got pipped on the line. Oh, and the a French guy that beat him, I can't remember exactly who it was. Um, but anyway, it, everyone was just like, oh, my gosh, that was just incredible. I was like, that, what? that was so good, you know. Yeah. The Mad- then the Madison started. Yeah. And little did I know that Scott, Scott McGorry and Brett Aiken, and also I've since found out the general media didn't pump them up to be the favorites, even though they were the best Madison riders in the world. Yeah. At the the World Championships the year before, which is the, what the Australian media bait, Australian media based sort of their um, build up on. Sure. Uh, Brett Aiken had a crash, and Scott McGorry rode the last half of the race on his own, and they finished ninth, and they just sort of looked like a, just a bit of a shit team. So the Australian yeah. media said, "Yeah, we might have a chance for a medal, maybe," but they were actually the best team. They were the ones to lose. Yeah. So no one knew anything. And so when they started coming around and looking like it was going to win, we were like feeling like we were the underdogs, you know? Yeah. Um, long story short, that night hooked me. I was just like, wow, what, what is this? This is just <laughs> so awesome. Um, and dad traveling around Melbourne doing um, work 
had seen this velodrome um, not far from us, Brunswick, yeah, and in Melbourne City, and there was a sign there that just said Sunday Morning Clinic, all welcome. Um, yeah. So we rolled up the next Sunday, whenever it was, late sort of 2000 or early 2001, I think it was, um, in the summer, and it was a free clinic where they had sort of 100 bikes that sort of fit more or less everyone's size, and someone might ride your bike in the race before, and you'll just put the seat up and ride in the next race, and I just it was a really great community there that no stigma attached or anything like that. You could just wear shorts and a t-shirt and just Brilliant. put your, your runners in and pull the um, the tight the clips up on your on your shoes and just go around and race. And if you didn't like it, you didn't have to go back. You hadn't gone out and bought a bike yeah. or whatever. Um, that's really where I started. And at the end of that summer season, they said to me, well, you've got a bit of go. How about you try something uh, in the winter, the road stuff? And I was like, what's the road? And, you know, that's sort <laughs> of where I went. Yeah. That's so – That's isn't it – I love the fact that there's a kind of a degree of chance in that, like the fact that you only got tickets to the velodrome by the ballot. And I know in the UK in 2012 um, – sorry, in London 2012, because everything was oversubscribed – uh, there was a ballot for a lot of the sports because a lot of the tickets just go to corporate people first. Then essentially it's, it's a ballot. So it's mm. the kind of luck of the draw. But the fact that, you know, 20 years later you're sit, sat here coming towards the end of your, you know, wonderful career in cycling, it was a kind of almost like a butterfly effect moment, a sliding doors moment. You know, what would you have done? In, I mean, you might have ended up cycling, who knows? But I love the fact that there's a real degree of chance and that you followed it. And, and also how Olympic Games in particular can be, pivotal in terms of inspiring kids or anybody to get involved in sport i love that yes as as a as someone in that position as a professional in a sport you have to sometimes stop and think when you are meeting young kids that that is that moment um it's so influential i i remember also back to when i was in primary school i don't know how this ever happened because fencing is definitely not a popular sport in australia let alone the whole world but Back in my primary school, randomly, we had a fencing expedition. And I did fencing for a couple of years. It just, it hooked me. You know, <laughs> right, and I yeah. remember my mum was like, okay, if you're sure you want to do that, you know. But as, like, as kids, what we used to play sword fights, didn't we? So it's, a, yeah. it's a kind of like, a, it's like like posh sword fighting, really, isn't it? Yeah, it was, just, it, was a, it was a dream. And there's one fencing clinic in the whole of Melbourne. You're just thinking, my mum's probably thinking, God, I hope he doesn't click on this. But, you know, that, it faded. But... I just think about how influential that one little exhibition was for me. That yeah, and you think yourself as a pro now. The kids that you meet along the way, you give a hat or a bottle or something too. It can mean so much. Um, yeah. you don't realise. No, it's it's very very cool. I mean, so and then how did you end up ultimately? Um, what, could you remember your first race, your first proper race on the road then? Because I can remember mine like it was as clear as yesterday. My dad's still scarred from it because he was so embarrassed at my performance. But that's another story. So, what was your first? Uh, your first race my first memory of that is very similar to what you just said it was we do a lot of <laughs> handicap racing in australia as i think you do in the uk too um it was a junior race um and i remember dad dad saying because it was all boys and girls mixed you know yeah and yeah i came in at whatever position i came in dad's like oh you got beaten by a girl you got beaten by a girl you know like making a big scene of it um yeah yeah because you know you just you it was a handicap race and it was cold um, racing. You had to really love it when I think about it now because it yeah. was it was an hour and a half out of Melbourne. Um, I was at 
high school, private school, which had compulsory Saturday sport. So I was playing right, right. rugby in the morning, jump in my dad's van, and we'd drive out and race bikes in the afternoon. Um, and they were cold, windy, wet days, like UK sort of days. Um, and I loved it. You know, I think about it then. There was probably only 10 starters on the line, no real atmosphere whatsoever, um, and quite a clicky crew um, right. out there. You know, everyone who was there was their fathers had been some kind of rider, so their sons were doing it, and there weren't really many outsiders who were completely novice to the whole situation coming in, and it was quite okay. intimidating right, when I right, think about right. it. But I guess I wanted it so much that you just went – you didn't care about all that. You just jumped in as a kid and just, just went for it. And how, how did you do? In that first race or yeah. in – in the, in the oh, first race. Well, I, I got beaten. I got beaten by a couple of girls yeah, and, right, yeah, yeah, I wasn't fastest time. I think I went off second scratch and, yeah, who knows. Like, it was just it was just hard. Um, yeah. I, did yeah. You, did you um, – I remember a pit, my first race was – actually, on the site, one of the sites of the Olympic Games now, it's a place called Eastway. It's a closed circuit race, uh, a closed kind of mile-and-a-half circuit with a couple of climbs in it. In the middle of it was a BMX track and a mountain bike. It's really, really good. Um, they had a tour. To, I'm sure they had a Tour de France stage there in the 70s. Merck's rode around it, um, but basically, I started off um, and I just couldn't get my foot in the toe clips. Um, so I was on the start line, and the, the bunch had gone around the first corner. So I spent the entire race on my own and got lapped within about three laps. And my dad was just at the side of the, the side of the course with his head in his hands. I think he was crying. Um, <laughs> you know uh, what? On earth? And, uh, and it was back then. I was so little that the kind of seat was lowered onto the top tube and I had a number on that was like a sail. You know, just, the numbers in the olden days were like enormous. You could wrap them around a child mm. and, um, but it was only like pinned in four places. So it was like a, like a, just a sail. I remember it like, um, but it wasn't, it was quite scarring really. Cause my dad didn't really talk to me on the way home. It, was, it wasn't not that it was a pushy parent or anything, but uh, anyway. I, re- I remember <laughs> also just seeing of a sail. I remember seeing a photo of myself in one of those early days and, I used to love the the look of the polka dot jersey. The tour. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. so I would just – I didn't really know the significance of wearing a, a polka dot jersey or a yellow jersey or I even had a world champ jersey too I just wear around Yeah. Um, just because I liked the look of them. And it was, this jersey was so big. When I look at this photo, it's just, it's just <laughs> like you said, a parachute. Parachute polka dot jersey. So, yeah, it's funny. I, I love all that. Oh, hold on a minute, mate. There's something, something happening uh, in the background. Oh. Random question alert. Oh. Random question alert. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Right. Um, yeah, sorry about that, Mitch. I, I forgot to warn you. Um, a couple of times during the podcast, um, well, the Sigma Sports guys installed a big old-fashioned, I think it's ex-Soviet computer in the corner of my loft. <laughs> and every now and again, it just kicks off and fires a random question. So here it is. I've just torn off the slip. Um, wow. Okay, this is quite hard. Okay. Okay. If you were to count out loud, what number do you think you could count to without abbreviating, shortening, or skipping any numbers? So imagine you got a pound, euro, dollar for every number you counted to, but you made if you but if you made a mistake, you'd get nothing. That's quite a good so yeah. So basically if you like if I was to say like Mitch, keep counting. We'll give you a, a euro for every single number you got right. How far do you think you could get, but you had to say each number out in full? <laughs> a thousand, maybe? A thousand. And then you'd start to lose your memory, do you think? 
I think without making an un like a, a mistake, yeah, mistake. Like you just get eventually, you'd stop thinking about it and you'd make yeah. a mistake. Like a thousand, that's a lot. That is a lot. Just to say out, that I would is say a lot. Probably only a few hundred now. I think about it, maybe five hundred. Yeah, I, I was going to say like maybe like forty two thousand, but then now you now you've kind of really thought about it. I think that's a gamble because you'd lose all your 000, money. That's so long. Yeah, I just I couldn't I couldn't like get time. to that bit, mate. I think I'd just get bored as well and just take the money because a thousand yeah. euros for, for just doing that is quite quite a good deal, really, isn't it? Yeah, it'd be quite good just to sort of focus on that and then you know just maybe go like a thousand and twenty just to get another twenty in the pocket. Yeah, and but just really take your time, really really take your time. Um, anyway, yeah, th- there we go. Random question <laughs> generator. Uh, yeah, nice one, mate. Um, right, okay. Um, sort of back to the future. Well, not the future. Back to now. As as pretty much all of us know, this is going to be your your last year as a pro, mate. Um, yep. I mean, you've had a great a great career. You know, you're a really popular figure in, in cycling. I know you're going to be sorely missed. I've no doubt you're going to miss miss being a pro. But at what point, mate, did you come? To this decision, uh, was it quite a recent one, or was it something that you've kind of? If this was like 2021, the end of 21, something you'd had on the horizon for a while. Well, when did you come to the decision, Mitch? Um, I think last year had a big impact. Um, yeah. I think everyone had a bit of a funny sort of year last year, and that's understating yeah. it. Um, yeah. I came to the end of last year, and it was no guarantee I was going to get a contract with this team. We got yeah. our contracts cut in half, um, so we're all on half wage. And then there was this sort of word going around that everyone who took a pay cut, which is everyone, was going to get offered a contract um, because you weren't really able to show yourself in the lack of racing we had unless you did the tour or something. So you sort of were a bit limited to get outside the teams as well. And every team, it was just a funny year at the end of the year. And I thought, you know what, I'm not ready to retire on like this um yeah, yeah but i was feeling a bit i was starting to feel the signs of it in terms of when i came back to racing last year i went into it red hot you know like i yeah. came in trained really hard because i thought i don't know how long this racing is really going to go so my i started with strata bianchi i was like it could be strata bianchi in san Remo, and we could be back in lockdown so i was like yeah. well Every race matters, so I'm just going to hit it red hot. And I was going yeah. well. Yeah. And I went in there, and I was just another number still. Everyone was going good, and we saw that happen in every race. It was so exciting to watch. It was almost like every race was the last race. I think everybody in the industry, especially within the teams and race organizers, and it was as if this could literally be the last race for a long time. It, so there was a sense of kind of urgency, and like, we've got to make this one matter. And it, it would I be correct in saying it kind of impacted the racing a little bit? It did, and I, yeah. I want to. Say, what I want to say is that I sort of expected, okay, well, that was a crazy year last year, and we'll start this year, and we'll see what happens. But that's just the new standard now, right? Okay. Um, and as you've probably seen from the racing, if we go back to the start of the year, a race like Hudvar, I did. That race was so hard. It was Perry Nice hard, and it was one of the first races of the year. Mate, I commentated on it. Well, I was like me and I think it was me and Lloydie. Uh, anyway, yeah. I, I was, and it was like, oh my god, this is so aggressive. It was a bit like. Not in a bad way, a bit like an amateur race. It was, it was just attacks all from the start, every with, stage. With the best riders in the world, you know? Yeah, and it yeah. was just I started to see the riding on the wall here. I'm like, well, look, I'm I'm seeing increases in my performance, in my numbers and things like that, but it's still just putting me in the middle of the bunch. Yeah. Um in order for me, well, maybe in the middle or maybe towards the back as well, you know, like 
in order for me to keep going at this game, I need to commit more. I need to sacrifice more. And I got to the point where I'm like, I don't know if I really want to, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I still love riding my bike. I've got two kids now and the impact of last year has made me really realize how important that is and how more important the extended family is to me. Of course. And 13 years in the peloton, I'm so happy with it. And I yeah. sort of realized what more do I really need to achieve to feel any more satisfied than I do now? And I thought nothing really. Um I've loved it. I've got no regrets. And to keep going is a lot more sacrifice. I sort of went, I'm okay now where I'm at. And I just sort of felt this moment of it'd be nice to step away before I really go one or two more years on and just go, I'm really hating this now. This is And I just thought it's a nice moment Um, and just made that decision pretty much after um, opening weekend. I think this year I was just like, you know what? Just, I just didn't love it out there today. Um, okay. I knew what to do for my job. It really became a job, but the the enjoyment sort of drifted away. And I was like, okay, it could be could be time. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to. I guess it's nice to do that on your own terms as well. Have that year contract, you know, but do it on your, on your kind of own terms. But I guess though, I know we all know that one of your favorite races, and that one of the favorite races for any any kind of cycling fan, as well as the Grand Tours, is Paris Roubaix, and that's obviously been one of the few races that was rescheduled to the end of the year i know you're not guaranteed to ride that but i, I guess that would be a lovely kind of way to end your career ideally wouldn't it perfect yeah it'd be perfect um and when it sort of got moved because i was i was sort of banking on doing roubaix this year to sort of make a decision for me i sort of thought oh, I'll, I'll let roubaix decide you know i'll go to roubaix yeah. and if i feel like really oh man i love this i need to be here then i'll keep going on but when it didn't happen, like I said, I went through that thought process and went, I don't need any other, re- I don't need to be here for any other reason anymore. I decided to call it and then I thought, wow, this is actually maybe a blessing in disguise. I get to finish on Roubaix. Um, yeah. And sort of that just sort of sounded nice. Yeah. No, it's, um, well, thanks for that, mate. We're going to, we're going to move on now um, um, to something completely different. Um, and I'm actually going to sing a jingle um, because we haven't got one prepared. <laughs> uh, no, basically what I'm going to do, we're, Obviously, I have listened to your talking Luft quite a few times. I really like it. So I'm going to take a leaf from Luft, um, and I've made a bespoke section of Matt Stevens Unplugged. Uh, just for you, it's called Mitch's Mullet Memories. Mitch's <laughs> Mullet Memories. There we go. What we'll do, we'll probably put a bit of kind of music around that. Um, so Niall, get on the case of that one, bud. It's great with the soundboards. Uh, right, okay, so slightly more rapid-fire kind of feel to it, kind of looking back of your career, but more briefly, uh, Mitch. Um, Favourite kit of yours as a pro? So the one that you wore? It's between two. Yep. My 2010 Skill Shimano kit, oh. which is before the white shorts, but yep. after my 2009 kit, they sort of just made some slight adjustments. 210 Skill Shimano, which is very similar to Sean Kelly Skill Shimano, yes. a skill kit. Yeah. Um, and the first edition Rafa um, EF kit, where it's finally, I felt for a long time in Mitchelton, I was always trying to make adjustments to make the kit look somewhat cool. Okay. And I finally got <laughs> EF kit and I went, you know what? I don't need to do anything. I feel myself in this kit. It's loud, it's bright. bright. And it was cool. So I hate when people do split answers, but they're two different kits. So they sort of don't 
you know, um, if I had to choose one, I'd probably say more current day. I really did love that EF original EF tie dye kit. Yeah, that was. I mean, that that hit the ground running. That that did create ripples, didn't it, in the cycling mm. world? Um, but no, I, great answers. And I'm I'm not going to deduct you any points. Not that I'm giving points for the split answer because I think you completely legitimised it there, mate. So well done. Um, your favourite ever pro kit in history, not one you've necessarily been in, but it could be. So looking back through the annals of pro cycling, we've had some, we've had some magnificent kits. Which one stands above them all for you, Mitch? Ah, uh, it's just so stereotypical and. <laughs> I know, like everyone says it, but I just can't go past it. I keep looking at old stuff. I was even watching old. I was watching the one, two, three Roubaix the other day, Mape kit. Yep. Um, and it just it just hits all the right spots. That kit, you know, the colours and and the riders. I think the team made that kit better too. Yeah. Um, they just dominated and. It was loud. It was, you know, and the way they wore the kit, Taffy with the cut-off cap, you know, Museo with the Brico glasses. It was yeah. just the whole thing together. We on the Colnagos painted the map A with the blocks going down the top tube. Yeah, it's just it's pretty cool that stuff. I think that's good. That's a lot of I mean, a lot of people's favorites. And of course, you you still have one of the icons from that era within your team, Charlie Wigalius, wore that kit. I raced with Charlie. They even had you know, like most teams will have a really nice design of kit, but then they'll have black leg warmers. But no, not with that. We're well, not with those guys. Let's yeah. have brick, brick kind of leg warmers as well. I mean, astonishing. I mean, it kind of burnt your retinas, but there was something beautiful about it as well. It was, it was great, and I love, I love running into people because you forget that team was so big. It was like sixty oh, yeah. guys on the roster. Nuts. So you can actually keep running into guys who are on the team that I love. You're like, oh, like Scott McGrory, he was on it. Yeah. You know, Cancellari, you forget, was there. And yeah. the list keeps going on. You're like, oh, that's right. You're on map A, you know? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Okay, uh, ultimate, you're only allowed one, ultimate shoe-sock colour combination. Um... So not Probably. the brand of shoe. You're not the brand, just the colours. I like my co- uh, com- combo at the moment. I've got a purple yep. shoe with a blue sock. Purple and blue. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you, you're happy. You're kind of happy with that. I mean, it's quite. It's quite modern. It's quite cutting edge, but it does work. Like I, I guess everyone's going to say white and white, but the problem with white and white is you've got to just have an endless amount of either new shoes yeah. or new socks. It's just yeah. It's a disaster. I think it only works if you're a cafe pro and all you do is ride in sunshine with brand new shoes and socks. Um, But are you like me and a lot of people, like getting a new pair of socks out of the bag is something quite special, isn't it? Like putting them on. Oh, it's a lovely feeling, isn't it? You know, you you push your foot through and the fabric kind of opens up for the very first time. God, what a feeling that is. You take that little like soft like metal thing that holds the two socks together at the end i love that little clip thing at the end oh yeah that's part of the process isn't it i mean and it also shows that these people who made these socks they care and that's a lovely thing they're they're hand pressed in at the end of the sock someone's job is to literally press that on so the two socks don't separate beautiful beautiful um okay worst teammate bus dj oh (laughs) throwing him under the bus here simon clark Oh, Clarky! Sorry, oh, Clarky, and if anyone out there is listening who knows, he's got – look, I respect that he's got his own taste in music, yeah. and everyone does, and he doesn't mind showing it, but it's just not my taste. It's oh. pretty techno-y. Is it? Yeah. 
is it like 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 euro techno kind of dutch techno kind of like like high high beats per minute that sort of stuff actually i'm gonna take almost take it back you know who's worse <laughs> than that betty uh, really yeah he's he's big into that italian techno stuff oh god that's whereas clark is a bit more australian um triple j sort of like yeah like nine late 90s sort of like crap um okay Whereas Betiol goes the next level and does like, yeah, this new sort of Italian club mix. And you're like, dude, no one likes this. Yeah. I mean, that's a bit of a surprise. I mean, that's, that's, that's blown me away a little bit, mate. A little bit disappointed in Betiol there. But uh, let's move on. Let's not, let's, let's not put it down on the pod. I've enjoyed it so far. Okay. Right or left. Oh, no. Yeah. Worst DJ. Okay. Right or left cycling shoe on first. Uh, I have I have no specific. <laughs> you don't about. have a specific. I like, no. I have to put the right one on. If I put the left one on first by accident, I have to take the left one off and then put the right one back on again. Oh mate, you're you're caught up in it. You've <laughs> yeah, got, I'm, I'm got you, problems. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have an order. Not that I know of. I'll, let me. Let, I'm going to have to take note in the next couple of days. I'll have to come yeah. back to you. I'll send you a message. You have to put it up on the next pod. But yeah, just, as far just as I a, know, I'm not aware. <laughs> Okay, so we'll just have a little guest slot and it'll be an update from Mitch on <laughs> which one feels right. Okay, um, we're coming to the end of this little element of the quiz. Um, oh no, of, of the podcast. Most special moment ever on a bike? Okay, one that comes straight to mind is in 2011. Um, no. Yes, 2011, I was in the breakaway at Paris-Roubaix and um, as the story goes, we got caught late in the race Yeah. and by the time we got caught, it was just the hitters left, sort of like 15 guys. It was the year that Johan van Summeren won. Yeah, Cancelor was there, Balan, Eisel, Hushov, to all those guys. Yes, yep. Boonen, you know, and... Yep. Um, Lars Boom was there, your Fletcher. And I remember just being in there going, oh, this is just sick. Like I was yeah. content. I was like, oh, this is, I'm one of the players. I'm just rolling turns with these boys, you know, and That's you felt brilliant. like one of the boys. Yeah. And I was starting to struggle and I thought my wife came to watch me on Sector 7. She wasn't my wife then, but I was just sort of like, oh, almost getting dropped and almost giving up, you know, like day done, satisfied. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe two or three sectors away, I thought, yeah, I've gone this far. I'm going to yeah. just hang in and see her and I'm going to be in the front group. How cool is that going to be? Brilliant. So I struggled on, I struggled on. I get to the – and I saw it coming. Yeah, sector seven, I've made it, you know. Come down off these. It's pretty – it's a really, really rough sector, but it's pretty fast. You go downhill and you turn right at the bottom. She was right there when you turn right onto the normal road at a barbecue. Yeah. I saw her. Yeah. I looked across. There's a photo of me smiling at her. And I was just like, Wow. And, you know, I made, I got sort of that goosebumps feel and um, that was the moment. But what that did for me there was it, it inspired me then to go on to the velodrome with those boys. Um, yeah. I sort of went, oh, fuck, there's only six to go. Let's just do it, you know. Um, but that moment there, it was, it was special. And every so often I have that when someone's there on the side of the road watching me, it gives me that little bit of that boost. So that was my, yeah. definitely my biggest boost um, I've had. Wonderful stuff, mate. That was the end of Mitch's Mullet Memories. <laughs> Mitch's Mullet Memories. Edit point. There we go. Nice one, Mitch. Um, I tell you what, 
Do you fancy a quiz about Melbourne? Let's do it. Let's do it. It's time for the Melbourne quiz. The Melbourne quiz. The Melbourne quiz. Now it's time for the Melbourne quiz. <laughs> um, uh, believe it or not, mate, we've got Alberto Bettiol to produce that jingle. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay. You're obviously born and I believe raised in Melbourne, Mitch. So I've um, I've done a bit of digging. Actually, I spent best part of an hour, an hour this morning researching this. Oh God. Uh, but I'm not going to do your legs, mate. I'm not about that. This isn't about. It's it's slightly competitive, but it's all multiple choice. Right. So you know you should be absolutely fine. Just you know just guess. Four questions um, coming up now. All about Melbourne. Question number one. Okay. Like, so Melbourne is the home to mainland Australia's oldest continually operating theatre established in 1854. But what, Mitch, is that theatre called? Okay. Is it A, King's Theatre, B, Queen's Theatre, C, Princess Theatre, or D, Lord's Theatre? C, Princess Theatre. Correct. Oh, yes. There was not much hesitation at all. Have you been there? You, you're aware have, of the theatre? Yeah, I have. But I, I got thrown with Queen Theatre because I'm like, oh. And then when you said Princess, I was like, oh, no, that's it. That's the one. Well, it's a good start, mate. You've hit the ground running. You're sort of uh, up and running with a 100% record. Uh, question number two. Okay. The rock band Crowded House were formed in 1985 in Melbourne, despite half of the band being from New Zealand. But what was the name of the TV show that helped launch their career, as well as bands like Men at Work and the individual pop act, Kylie Minogue? Okay, so what was the TV show that helped launch Crowded House's career? Was it A, Hitmakers, B, Rock and Pop a Go-Go, C, Hit World, or D, Countdown? D, Countdown. Oh, Straight in the back of the net, mate. No hesitation there. Clearly, was that a pretty big show in Australia then? I didn't know it was done before um, I was around, but Molly Meldrum, who used to run that show, is pretty famous in Melbourne. Um, and a quick sort of fact for everyone out there, we yeah. in Mitchelton, well, in Orica Green Edge or Green Edge when it started, we went and recorded our own song with Molly Meldrum called we, and we bought the rights to Won't Back Down. Um and we went into his studio and recorded. It was pretty. It was a pretty cool moment. And <laughs> That's we're brilliant. Just, and to meet Molly, he's pretty. Um, he's a pretty famous sort of icon of Melbourne. So to meet him and wearing his hat and everything. So countdown. Yeah, you're never going to bugger that that answer up. No, no, no. Maybe a little bit too easy. But fantastic, you got a little kind of anecdote attached to that as well. If you've got any pictures, mate, um, of you in the studio, it's probably online, isn't it? I think it you, is. What's well, in? It's the, all it's part of that backstage past yeah, stuff. Yeah, you'll it? see yeah. us in there being idiots. It's, it's in the, one yeah. of the first backstages, just seeing yeah. the song like absolute goons. Brilliant stuff, mate. Right, okay. It was hundred percent record. This is good. This is one of the best of recent uh, weeks, actually. Um, question number three. Okay. Melbourne is quite renowned for its culture and art, but what was the name, Mitch, of the avant-garde group of artists who convened at Bulleen Dairy um, during World War II, now the site of a modern art museum? Okay. Was it A, the Angry Koalas, B, 
the angry penguins, C, the angry kangaroos, or D, the angry wallabies. So an avant-garde group of artists that convened at this particular place in Melbourne in World War II, um, now the site of a, of a modern art museum. Um, what was the group called? The koalas, the angry koalas, angry penguins, angry kangaroos, or angry wallabies? Wallabies? I'm afraid it was the angry penguins, mate. Uh, oh, I say yeah. it's a good guess. It was just a guess, wasn't it? I mean, because I just oh, made the boy. rest of them up. It was in yeah. Boleyn, did you say? I, I yeah. actually grew up probably 5K from Boleyn. I went to school. My sports grounds are there, and I'm trying to think. It's the Boleyn Dairy Farm. There's like a dairy farm there, the yeah. Boleyn Dairy Farm, yeah. yeah and, and now it's the site of the uh, Boleyn Modern Art Museum. Yeah, I've been to that Boleyn Modern Art Museum. It's pretty cool. What 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 is it quite big? Is it because it's a? I didn't realize it's, it. That- well, it's it's a it's a park. Um, it's the old um, Bundura Park there, and okay. Like I really live close to there. Heidelberg is a suburb I live in, which is like two car up the road. Um, and it's a really cool park. They've sort of got all artworks in the bushland, and um, there's a really cool cafe there. And yeah, it's it's awesome actually. Nice one, mate. Well, there you go. I love the fact you've got anecdotes for pretty much every question. I wonder if you've got an anecdote for the final question. This is question number four. Um, okay. The MCG, Melbourne Cricket Ground, established in 1853, held the world's first ever test match. But what year was that test match? Was it A, 1869, B, 1872, C, 1877, or D, 1880. And, Mitch, for a bonus point, who did Australia play? Was it 1880? Oh, I'm going to give you another guess, mate. It wasn't 1880. What year was it? Um, what year was the MCG established? 1853. And the year of the first test match was 1869, 1872, or 1877. We've ruled out 1887. 1869? It was 1877, mate. I'm sorry. Oh, so yeah. sorry. But you Who can, do they can... play? Um, do they play England? Yes, bonus <laughs> point. Oh, so basically you've got um, out of four. You've got 75% in the <laughs> Melbourne quiz. Let's have a round of applause for Mitch. Great stuff, mate. Um, that that was good. That was very, very good indeed. I, I noticed you. You kind of were keen on, um, like, you, you kind of mentioned a kind of nice cafe within the, the art gallery mm. uh, at the Bullion Dairy Farm location. Um, I know you're a big fan of coffee. So, if you were to have your own coffee brand, um, what would it be called, Mitch? And what would be on the logo? Because I know you've got me harbouring potentially thoughts of having a cafe in the future at some. Yeah, I haven't actually thought future. of the name of the, of the actual bean. That's a good call. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'd like, I'd like an answer. Maybe just kind what of. What about uh, um? Talk about it. What about something like a a pull on the peloton? Something like you know, life in the. Pello bean. Pello bean. <laughs> you, know, you know what I always find funny is these these names that are loosely connected to cycling that oh yeah people they're like everywhere. think they'd be cool and they're like they call it like yeah. bent spoke or broken derailleur cafe yeah. or you know like yeah. um you know aero bar coffee shop you're like come on now like seriously you know like worn out tire 
bike shop. How about yeah, uh, yeah uh, undercharged Di2? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that'd be it's quite a technical kind of name. Flashing Red Cafe. F- Flashing Red Cafe. Um, Double Tap Cafe. Another brand. Um, <laughs> um, oh god, let me. T- I might to help you out here, mate. Oh, Mitch, I don't- Mitch Docker Cafe. Yeah, um, coffee beans. What about just um, the, the cobblestone cobblestone coffee? You know, something really original. It's probably a name out there called that. Cobblestone coffee. That sector good, sector seven. Sector seven coffee. There you go. Just talk. Oh, about sector seven. I quite. Hey, we just talked about that, sector seven. It's my that, sector. And that's your one of your most inspirational moments on a bike. A coffee, as we know, is kind of weirdly inspiring in a kind of strange way. Sector seven coffee sounds absolutely. I, I'd I'd buy some. You call I'm going to put an order in now for like three bags. The roastery's life in the peloton, and you're like, oh, what, what coffee? You go, well, grab, a, grab yourself a bag of Sector 7. That's really oh, good mate. stuff. It sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, next up, what would the logo be? So would it be a little some cobblestones going around a corner with the, with your wife with a barbecue, waving like a sausage on the end of a fork? But on the, on the end of the fork wasn't a sausage. It was a coffee bean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant, yeah. <laughs> Or just like yeah, holding it like she's like looking back and she's like busy roasting at the at the side of sector seven, you know. Yeah, that'd be I cool. Don't know. Yeah, I, I mean that's just an idea. I mean these are early days. We're just bouncing ideas around, mate. So when the pod's finished, I mean, um, you could have a rip off of instead of someone holding the the stone up, you have a picture of me as, as if I've won Roubaix. And yep. mounted on the thing instead of a stone is like a rough looking coffee bean that looks sort of loosely like a cobblestone, but it's actually a bean. I like that, mate. I like mm. that. That's quite good. Yeah, I like that, mate. Okay, well, that's a work in progress, isn't it? And if what if Rigor if if Rigoberto ran called you up and he'd, he'd heard a see something. This, this sounds good. Sector Seven Coffee. Um, you know, he's got his shop, hasn't he? Um, mm. in in Colombia. Um, what if he offered you a little franchise within there? How would you kind of decorate it? Because I want to know what this would look like as well. So uh, would it be kind of all like retro stuff? Because you know he's offered you a franchise within his within his shop to sell your coffee. Um, mm. Is it a little cheeky business proposition? As long as you made like three appearances a year. You mean like, like on the walls and stuff, or you mean the furniture? Yeah. So in the, a, a bit of everything. So it'd be quite. You'd have like a stall. You'd have like the, the bench where you made your coffee and a few cakes, and then you'd have like a little soft area with like maybe three tables. Mm. Um, but you could make it your own. It didn't have to be. It wasn't Rigo themed. It was you themed. What would it, what would the theme of it be? Um, I probably would keep it less bike than more. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't have like you know seats with you know saddles and sitting on you know bikes uh, stools where you could sit pedaling and that sort of feel. Probably have it a bit minimalistic, and then I definitely have some um, some great old. Roubaix pictures, but old Roubaix pictures like right. Sean Kelly sort of era. You know, not yeah. too old, but like seven eighties sort of era. Yeah. Just hard bastards riding the stone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and would, would okay, this is quite would there be obviously Rigoberto, would, the only thing he'd insist on is a picture of Rigo. What what but I try his, and yeah, I try and find some kind of funny picture of him attempting his, to ride the cobbles in like the tour or something and, and get that'd that. That'd be up good, there. wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, and it, would you be happy to put a picture of him up if it was one of those ones that he posts without his top on? <laughs> <laughs> that'd be weird. Imagine if they said, Look, Mitch, and you you put the money up front, you'd invested, and he said, This is a deal breaker. There needs to be quite a big picture of him, a top off. Um, what would you do? Would you put in would the, you run, uh, put in the male toilets? 
That's a good, what a cracking idea. Above the urinal. Yeah, that'll be cool. <laughs> Behind the stall door. Yeah. Close the door and next thing you know, you've got topless three going there with you. Why? Uh... Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely fine. I think that would work. And I think it would probably satisfy him from a contractual perspective as well. Um, okay, Mitch, um, I've asked this of a few few riders. Um, what I'd like you to do is sum up in one word, a one word only, all of the previous teams that you've ridden for. Um, so, and, and let's include your brief stint with AG2R as a, as a stagiaire as well, just to add another team. So obviously we've got AG2R, Drapak, Skill, Orica, and latterly EF. So one word, starting from now, sum up your brief stint with AG2R. Um, uh, what's a good word? What's, a, what's like, what's a word for just like... Um, was it just really I was, French? I was just was in, it just, no, but I was just, I was in awe, you know, like I was uh, just like, every, would it be like, would it be wow? Yeah, wow. It was, it wasn't, it was, yeah, for me, it was wow. Just, okay. It was my first experience in the kit. So, yeah, sorry, it was wow. Yeah. Good. Okay. Ages of our wow. Uh, Drapak. Family. Okay, I'm just writing this down. Family. I like that, mate. Was Tom Southern there with you yep. at Drapat? Yeah. Well, yep. there you go. That's a little bit of a loop there. I get it. Skill, Shimano. One word, mate. Three years. One word. It's got to be a good one. Um, <laughs> um, it is not really a, really a word, but like if I can maybe say it, like maybe, maybe a sound. It's, a, it's, it's just... <laughs> Dutch just says it all. Dutch. Like I know it's a Dutch Wait. team, but like I mean, Dutch in everything. You know, it was, it was so Dutch. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think uh, Steve Cummings described BMC as just American. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he could think of. So Dutch is good, mate. Dutch is good. Um, Orica, and you were there for a while, weren't you? One, two, three, six years. Yeah. Um. One word, mate. Remember, uh, I, I, you know. Matt Whitey does kind of listen to this pod sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was just fun, fun. fun. That's a good word. That's yeah. a great word, mate. That is a good. There's some good words here, mate. It's nice. And finally, EF, mate. Um, uh, like um. Bear in mind, you're still under contract as well. That's the kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, like, liberating. I like that. Yeah. Liberating. Okay. So we've got wow, family, Dutch, fun, liberating. And you can mix and match those, whatever you want, mate. That's what a lovely way. I just I'd think it's a nice way to summarize. It's a very short way to summarize an entire career. Um, but essentially, really positive. Really positive, mate. Yeah. That's, thanks very much indeed for that, mate. Okay. We, we're kind of... I've got one, one or two more questions, mate. We're kind of rambling on. And I, a bit, it's been really lovely speaking to you, mate. Um, I know, what's the most challenging part? Because you've been the road captain for EF uh, for, a couple, for a few years. And what's the most, it's just a two-pronged question. What's the most challenging part of being a road captain? And what is the most rewarding part of, of doing the job that you do for the squad, mate? Um, probably the most challenging is 
is actually understanding your responsibility in the situation. Um, yeah. And like I'm quite an emotional guy and I can, especially in a grand tour, when everything builds up second week, third week, um, you do forget that you're in a position of um, leadership and people are looking to you. And so yeah. little things that you just naturally do, you know, have a blow up or, you know, you didn't get a bottle at the right time and you're pissed off because you're on a climb and you're thirsty, little things in the moment. Yeah. And you forget that has a big impact on young guys or even your perception of you from directors and stuff. Um, yeah. So for me, it's in the heat of the moment stuff that I sometimes struggle with, but miss those cues. I'm like, oh yeah. shit, you know, like I just got too involved in the moment and didn't understand my um, position. As a writer, you can get away with that if you're not in a position of leadership or something like that, because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, maybe not that many people are looking to you or whatever, and that's not your responsibility. And but as you come in a different position, there's a lot of stuff um, that comes with that. But on the yeah. flip side. That is also a very um, motivating thing because it's not all about you all the time. Yeah, which you can make it about you. And when it's when things are going good, that doesn't matter. But when things are going bad, and it's all about you, you get down in this little tunnel sort of um, vision syndrome where you just oh me, I'm all bad and blah blah blah. When you're a, in a position as a like let's say a captain or a leader or that I feel like you try and you're worrying about everyone else. You yeah. got to, and you just got to lead by example. You're like, I can't get myself down or whatever. I've got to, you come down to the dinner table and you're like, I don't feel that good, but I've got to turn it on now. These guys yeah. are going to be expect me to bring the energy whether yeah. I want to or not. That's just my responsibility. And it snaps you out of your bad mood, yeah. um, which is a great thing. You just got to yeah. be aware of it is all. Um, yeah which is sort of what the best and worst thing is about it, you know? Yeah, I was going to say there's there's a, an, an innate pressure in that, but also if you do it right, the kind of the pressure actually pushes you to a place that is actually, I would imagine, massively rewarding, especially with, you know, even there might even be older guys in the team, but generally speaking, you know, when you've got young riders looking to you as an example, um, especially of morale, because we know how, how many kind of, I mean, look at the, you had a lot of bad luck, didn't you, in the 2018 Vuelta, for example, yep. um, in terms of crashes and stuff like that. And, and a rider like yourself and the kind of positive attitude and just you, the way you, you know, this isn't just me just observing it. You are, you know, a popular guy, but there's that, there's still a pressure there, but to actually experience making a difference and seeing people, you know, uh, and seeing people react to the way you are must be massively rewarding and and almost like sweet in a lot of the pain you have to go through. It's sort of a, a, a double-edged sword there because, yes, you aren't doing it for them to make everyone and the team go better. But at the end of the day, you're in that team too and you want yeah. a nice environment for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, screw it. If, for any, if I'm not doing it for anyone, I'm doing it for myself here because I've still to go two or three weeks along with these guys. And if it's just yeah. going to be this sad clown depresso affair, I don't want to be involved in that. So you just start creating this atmosphere that you want to be in and lo and behold, it's positive for everyone too. Yeah. What's off the back of that then, Mitch? What's the biggest change in the peloton you've seen since you turned pro? I mean, are there's, I mean, it's kind of seismic. So much has happened in a very short period of time. But what's the biggest shift that you've noticed in well in the well over a decade that you've been racing to now? 
I think it's probably the way um, – look, I think the level has gone up. I just yeah. think about the way I used to train and go to races. Um, it was just a little bit more happy-go-lucky. Um, you know, everything is so well highly monitored now. You know, um, you can't get away with anything, if that makes sense. Like yeah. you, every training you do, every minute you do, which is good and bad. Um, sometimes you can get a bit obsessive about it and I definitely have done that too. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to let things go and just write. You've got to be, have a strong mind to do that and a strong and be very confident in your own ability to just go, you know what, I'm confident in what I'm doing. I don't care what the team sees on my training peaks or what they see on my whoop band or whatever. I know I'm going to be good. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, it's very easy to get caught up in that and make sure and have everything ticked off green lights in the training peaks sleep very good and actually go to the race and not perform because you're already satisfied before you get there. So it's funny like that. I feel like when I was younger, you, the only thing that mattered was how you went in the race. Yeah. And it didn't really matter how you trained. That was up to you. Whatever yeah. you need to do to be good at the race, we don't give a shit. So yeah. be, just be good at the race. Yeah. And I love that fact because – I feel like there's just a lot of engines coming into the bunch now who don't necessarily have, who haven't necessarily learned that race craft, but are getting bought because of these things, because of accessibility to numbers, Strava, whatever you want to call it. And then it's like, you know what? He'll just learn how to race, no problems. But when you put like too many of those guys in the bunch, that I feel is why we're seeing so many stressful situations and crashes in the bunch because. Firstly, they haven't learned the race craft. And secondly, they haven't learned the sort of almost respect of the bunch. Um, yeah. When I came in, it was like, look, Mitch, you're just going to do these jobs for one or two years, regardless how good you are, and work your way up. And I was I, I was happy for that. It wasn't like I was like, oh, God, poor me. When am I going to get my chance to sprint? It was just, that's just what I wanted to do. I was happy yeah. to sort of come up the ranks and learn each role before I got my chance. Um, yeah. Whereas I feel like guys now feel go, well, you know what? I did the same Strava as George Bennett on a mere climb. So technically I should be able to sit second wheel into the climb coming into whatever race it is. It's like, well, yeah. no, dude, you can't just do that. That's just not how it works. Even though you might have the power, we're racing now. So maybe that is how it works, but that's definitely the biggest shift I've seen. There is – yeah. In, in one word, a lack of respect for people's abilities has gone out the window. If you've got the legs now, that's enough. Yeah. Uh, actually, interestingly, just before the Giro, I did a – Matteo Trenton was my guest on this pod, and he said it pretty much exactly the same thing, mate. And I know you're kind of a similar kind of age, a different generation, but that um, that was pretty much exactly what he said. Uh, and I, I, I completely understand it, mate. It's interesting because, it, you know, the peloton changes all the time as it modernizes, but it's just interesting to get your perspective on that, mate. And it's, and I also see on that on that defense too. If you've come in now, and that's all you know, that's okay too. I think yeah. it's just when you've had something before, and it changes, you just don't like it. So all the guys yeah. now coming in, that's all they know. So that's fine. Um, and just as you get older, you're like, God, this is hell. But yeah. things have got to continue to change, I guess. Yeah. No. No. Definitely. Definitely. Um, describe to me, Mitch, what the mix. Mitch Docker Grand Prix would look like. It's a race. Um, you've retired. It's it's next year. A big sponsor's come up to you. Actually, Rigoberto Rand's come up with a lot of cash uh, and said, uh, Mitch, I want you to run your own race anywhere in the world. It's a one-day classic. 
Where would it be? How far would it be? What would the parkour look like, mate? It's the Mitch Docker GP, and it's a world tour race. You know, I had this idea of actually starting my own race. Um, okay. I really like this idea. There's a there's a town 300K from Melbourne. Okay. Goes around the coast. So the um, Port Phillip Bay in Melbourne. And it's the town, believe it or not, is called San Remo. And I was okay. like, how is there not a Melbourne San Remo already? <laughs> so maybe that would be it because it's a classic and there's a climb just before San Remo. It's not... There's no like cappers and chapressa, but there's definitely a um, a poggio. Um, okay. So I reckon it's there. It's there in the making. The two towns exist. Melbourne exists. San Remo exists. There's a there's a coast. Let's do it. That's my so classic. The Mitch Docker Grand Prix forward slash Melbourne San Remo. Mm. So- sounds good, doesn't it? How good would that be? Just in that it's summer of sound- Australian summer of the Australian summer was getting cool. You know, you had. Down Under, the Nationals were in there before. Then you had yeah. Cadell's. You had another race around Cadell's. Then you had Sun Tour, just another couple of races in there. You would have been able to make a real a real go of it. I hope, I hope it comes back. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely, mate. Well, let's. I'll, I'll keep my ear close. I mean, yeah, any help you need with that. And Well, specifically in designing a logo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be that would be cool, mate. Um, wait, oh, actually, hold on. We've got another. Oh, no. You know, random spider. I wanted to wrap things random up but uh, alert. Random question alert. it is time for a random question okay this oh this is a perler mate to wrap things up and uh i, I don't apologize because it is random i've nothing to do with them i never get sight of these um but here we go mitch to wrap up this podcast um you've just become a member of the spice girls mate what is your spice name create your own so you're a Spice Girl, you, they've actually, you've just got an, another album to record. So well, it's a two album deal uh, and you're going to go on a world tour um, and they've really welcomed you into the group. You, you're still Mitch Docker, you're a bloke, but what is your Spice Girl name? <laughs> so what did we have? We had Posh, we had Baby, Jerry. Scary. Yep. Scary and Sporty. That's it. Um, Bogan Spice? Bogan. <laughs> What, what, yeah, bogan. Yeah. Be, you, know, be, you, know, you know what an Aussie bogan is, don't you? No, I don't. You're going to have to explain it. I mean, you know, just Google it and you'll literally see a picture of me with a different face on it. My my look is exactly Bog- Aussie, Aussie bogan, which is just like. Bogan. Wiki, I'm just firing up. I've got um, bogan Wikipedia. Jesus. <laughs> oh did my any, God. Did anything come up? Yeah, this weird picture of. Uh, uh, yeah. It looks like a bit of a, not not a low life, but a bit kind of yeah. Did you do um, Australian bogan? I've just put bogan Australia. Let me do Australian yeah, Australian will, bogan. Well, yeah, it'd be more or less the same. Yeah, um, uncultured. <laughs> I can see you. It's basically a flannelette. Yeah. See the guy with the flannelette, cut off sleeves, the sunglasses, the, the yeah, goatee. just a fr- fringe cut. And then just like like a bit of a mullet. Um, it's a I like bogan. Oh, yeah, there's, a, there's a drawing of one here. You got Iron Maiden tattoos, a mum tattoo, scar on his face, beautiful mullet, quite a well kept mullet um, with a pair of nunchuckers. One of the ones I'm looking at. <laughs> so I reckon you'd fit in well. Uh, a bogan. bogan spice. There you go. Bogan spice. Blimmin' it. We're going to get uh, the uh, guys at Sigma to actually try and knock a drawing up of you. 
uh, to, or, or just get Instagram to do it. We'll fire it out there, mate. But uh, well, that was a, a what a wonderful way to end what has been a, a thoroughly enjoyable podcast, mate. I really, <laughs> really did enjoy that. That was yeah. thanks for being so uh, having such a laugh, mate. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It was great. Lots of fun. No. Uh, just just a, a quick reminder if anybody's thinking yeah i want to listen to any mitch's content what um what pods can we hear you on that are your own go and check out life in the peloton we stream that now with the cycling podcast every two weeks okay. um but over at my own feed life in the peloton you can also go to life to get all the episodes but if you just go on apple you can get the life in the peloton episode and we do this little spin-off series because my main guest is all, is over at the Cycling Podcast and then I do a little spin-off with them called Talking Luft and that is just a little DVDs, extras, sort yep. of talking crap, 15, yep. 20 minutes, um, which is quite funny. So go across and have a listen to that. If you like those, you can hear the full episode over at the Cycling Podcast. Good stuff, mate. Well, Mitch, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Uh, you take care of yourself. Best of luck um, with your next batch of races. I know you're doing the route to Sud now. Um, and then hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll see you in Paris-Roubaix. But until then, mate, you take care. Awesome. Thanks, mate. It's easy to see why Mitch is such a fan favourite. What a fun bloke. That was a blast. And I do wish him all the best with finishing up his career in style and a long and happy retirement from racing. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to Rigoberto Uran if you see him topless while riding a bike on social media or in his Rigo Superstore in the real world. And finally, a massive thanks again to Mitch for joining us on the podcast today. Hope he enjoys his new life in the Spice Girls and you can catch him on tour as soon as is safely possible. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. 